I was having a dinner with a friend earlier this week, and he was like, how's church, blah, blah. And I told him I was working on this sermon, and he says to me, oh, what's it about? And I, I say, oh, I'm talking about courage. And then he just stared at me, and that's when I realized that maybe this topic isn't as sexy as I thought it was. Uh, it's a bit strange. So let's do a slight rebrand today in case that sentiment is similar. Uh, we are spending this month looking at these two things, uh, fear and courage. There you see it. Um, right off the bat, let me just throw this in there for some reason. To me, there is a difference between uh, doing acts of courage and living a courageous life. Right? I think where we are after today is the latter, right? living a courageous life. And so, uh, as I thought about this, if my friend were to ask me that again, uh, what are you talking about? I would say, I'm going to share the secret of living one's best life. I know I've been doing this a lot lately, but I, I think it's very helpful. So let's begin, as we do, with a little bit of historical and a theoretical lesson about these concepts, fear, anxiety, and courage. I've taken the liberty of drawing up for you a diagram. See if we can. Well, my writing isn't as bad as I thought it'd be. Okay, so you can see that there. So this is not an exact science, right? Uh, this is just sort of from what I can gather from my research. The relationship between these three things kind of looks like this. Uh, we have we have fear on the left here, and as it's pointing up, it has an object. So fear we could think of as something that has a definitive object of fear, something that you do fear. So. Uh, like bees. I'm terrified of bees. Bees are my object of fear. And it turns out that uh, out of that, you actually get hope because you hope that whatever that object will be uh, will turn out in the way that you want it to. So for me, I will not get stung by the bee. I hope to not get stung, right? And that's a trivial, trivial example, but you could think of it also in terms of the direct object being, you know, a, an illness or something like that, right? Serious things as well, right? We still have this notion of hope coming out of that. Anxiety, on the other hand, has no objects. Um, I think we could think of it as sort of, uh, well, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways that people explain anxiety. Here's a couple that I thought were interesting. One is that anxiety stems from a conflict between two parts of ourselves that are uh, in contradiction with one another. So, for example... Let's say you have desires in yourself, and then you also have uh, norms or things that you feel like you ought to behave or you ought to behave a certain way. Those two things uh, come into conflict, creating a sort of anxiety. Uh, another one is that uh, one could say anxiety stems from um, sort of broken relationships, particularly to things that are meaningful to us. Uh, philosophically, you could say anxiety is human awareness of our, our finitude, our sort of limitation. Um, it's not the same as being scared of death, per se. It's more like uh, not knowing what comes after death or what that brings. Right? And out of this anxiety, we don't get hope, we get despair. And despair is a bad place, a place where uh, the future ceases to be a possibility for us, where um, meaning is lost, where we are sort of just overrun by our guilt and shame. So fear and anxiety are not the same, but they exist within one another. They're imminent to one another. Fear 
uh, can become anxiety. And in a strange way, anxiety actually wants to also become fear, right? It is to go and find an object for itself. All right. Courage can interject into these states. But what do we mean when we think of courage? What does courage actually uh, mean? So there's a famous concept called the golden mean. We've talked about Aristotle here many times, right? The golden mean is the idea that a virtue or a good thing is best understood by uh, seeing it as the middle between two not-so-good things. And so in the aspect of courage, courage being the golden mean, you have on one end cowardice, and on the other hand, you have something like temerity or uh, reckless boldness. Uh, we all know people of that nature. And courage sort of is in the middle there. That's what we strive to do uh, or be like, right? And so in this way also, you can say courage is uh, almost a kind of wisdom in that uh, it's the ability to know how to act properly in a given situation. So I thought about that. I was like, what? From where do we learn what is proper? Right, and so uh, I actually think it might be helpful for us to kind of switch the narrative on courage a little bit and think of it in terms of a kind of confidence. And as far as confidences go, we should think of it in terms of relationships. Relationships, broadly speaking, give us confidence. They are at the heart of what our sense of confidence is like, right? So, despite all appearances, I am no uh, Romeo. I know, it's shocking. Having experienced uh, myself a great deal of fear in my life when it comes to trying to woo somebody. When I was in uh, first grade, there was this uh, girl, her name was uh, Megan Morales. And uh, I told her I, I, I loved her. And um, you know, I was too young at that time to have such fear, I was bold. And she, uh, she did this thing where she was like, mm, and then she put it on my lips. And I think about it every day. <laughs> Never forgotten. But in my later years, you know, asking somebody out was an incredibly scary thing, right? And in such situations, what do we do, right? We often look to our friends to boost our confidence, to give ourselves a, a pep talk, right? Um, you've probably given, been given this talk, right? Like, dude, you're great. Anybody would be lucky to be with you. Kind of fool out there, doesn't think you're dope. You're a god, right? <laughs> and when these friends have done their duty, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm a god. <laughs> and I will go up and I'm like, what's up? I'm <laughs> it doesn't go well. Okay, so <laughs> relationships, right? Let's look at a vastly more important example. We know that while fear is universal, the objects of our fear are often very contextual or relative, right? Certain people, marginalized groups in particular, experience fears in ways that are often difficult for other groups, dominant groups, dominant cultures to understand or to accept, to affirm, right? The experience of being a woman is vastly different than being a man in just doing basic things like walking down the street, right? People of color have their own particular sensitivities to objects of fear. I used to be so scared of going to bathrooms in like rural areas that Neil, my friend, would uh, make fun of me. I know, what an asshole, right? Um, recently, it was National Coming Out Day, and I was reading a blog post by a trans woman, her name is Amy Ko, 
So she's laying out the fears of coming out in the LGBT community, right? And I found this particular part that she wrote very salient for our conversation. She writes, I spent several months building the courage to email a therapist. It took me six months of therapy to gather the courage to accept myself as a woman and come out to my wife. It took another year of therapy to come out to my family. And since coming out to family, it's been another year of learning to love myself. It's been isolating, alarming, and terrifying. Still quoting here. Along the way, there are many things that gave me courage and many things that diminished my courage. Knowing I was in a progressive city full of LGBTQ people and allies gave me courage. Knowing I was in a country rapidly eroding my civil rights did not. Being in the UW Information School where race and gender equality are on most faculty meeting agendas gave me courage. Watching my aunts, uncles, cousins, and occasionally professional colleagues deny the existence, humanity, and morality of LGBTQ people on Facebook did not. But on the whole, I've gained more courage than I've lost, and I'm ready to come out. So what's striking to me about that, you know, beyond just a real bravery here, is that uh, these relationships have this real power to uh, both build and tear her courage down in ours as well, right? Her relationship with her therapist, first and foremost, right? Wife, family, the broader relationships in her city, right? We could think of even a culture of inclusion, as she mentioned. We can describe that really as the relationship between activists and political leaders and community spaces and media members in the area, right? These are all types of relationships, right? And her work relationships as well. So contrary to that sort of, you know, twisted masculine narrative, courage is not this thing, I think, that we just uh, can conjure up out of our will, right? Ah! I'm going to be courageous. No, we actually learn it. We cultivate it. It is planted in us. It is watered. Uh, we are gifted it. All that through how we relate to others and how they might relate to us. Right? No one goes into a haunted house alone unless you're truly lost. <laughs> uh, I told a story a couple weeks ago about a traumatic uh, childhood memory I had which, in which I was utterly abandoned by my parents, right? where they failed to be there to help me make sense of a situation, to give me confidence in the face of unexpected changes, right? That relationship failed me in that moment, but it could have gone so differently, right? For my five-year-old self, as I imagine many of us wish was true of our relationship with our parents. The point is that we have immense power to help others in their fears. Right? If you ever work with kids, uh, or you have a kid, you know, that becomes very evident, right? But in so many other subtle ways with uh, your friends and your coworkers, random people online and things that you post, right? So much power there to give people courage, to take courage away, right? If you take nothing else from today, uh, think about that, remember that. So there's something else about courage that I think is important to name. As I mentioned, there is a distinction to me between acting, uh, acts of courage, and living courageous. Right? We've all had moments where we've overcome a particular fear and done a thing, right? Um, but how many of us would actually live to claim to live courageous lives? How many of us would claim that we move through the world with confidence, right? I was reading an old sermon. It's from the 60s. This theologian begins his sermon by mentioning a Gallup poll in which the question to young adults was asked, what is the basic feeling you have towards life? 
Amazingly, 60% of people responded fear. And this wasn't a multiple choice exam, right? It just was straight up the real thing. And some 50 years later, recent polls of our millennial generation um, reveal that we have a real pessimism about the future. I won't list all the reasons why you likely feel them every day, know them well. Would not the fear of anxiety or fear or anxiety be just as high of a percentage today as it was 50 years ago? Perhaps even higher, right? But uh, this isn't new. This kind of thing is, is sadly not new, maybe comfortingly so in some ways. Nothing really is new, right? It is said that religion is really for fearful people. And if you uh, hear it from crit- uh, critics, it's a sharp little poke, they'll say it's for cowards. Christianity has always been the most real, I think, for people in deep fear, for people, who, uh, for, for people for whom fear is a real felt reality, right? Centuries of bullshit have sort of twisted, I think, the gospel message to be solely about these things like guilt and sin, uh, when really, I think you could say that the good news is better described actually as our freedom from fear. The concepts of Christianity, its myths, its symbols, they speak, you know, not to solely punishment and penitence, but they're speaking to the fear and anxiety we have as human beings. The devil, the devil becomes an anxiety to us, a thing to fear when we feel like we do not have control, when bad things happen to us, right? Uh, When Fate, when we fear the fate of our lives, this sense that we don't have the power to control things, uh, and all these terrible things can happen, we, kind of, we find ourselves in sort of doctrines like providence, which talk about uh, God being in control of everything, or everything happening for a reason, right? Our anxiety and fear of death, of the unknown after death, we get heaven, we get hell. And the very real question for us as good modern folks is this, right? Are these things creations made up by and made for cowards? Or, big or, do they affirm some truth about the kind of confidence we might have in a God from whom we hear these stories about, these songs that we sing? So learning to live courageously in general, I believe, is also about relationship. Here we have our Bible reading for today from 1 John chapter 4, famous passage. So we have known and believe that, sorry, we have, so we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love we love because he first loved us those who say i love god and hate their brothers or sisters are liars for those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love god whom they have not seen the commandment we have from him is this 
Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This little letter in the New Testament is basically a little sermon, right? And it contains these well-known phrases. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Mm, that's good. And even more famous is this part, right? God is love, which we've, many of us have heard, right? And these three little words in which uh, we get a universe of possibility. The relationship that gives us uh, confidence in this life, this passage compels us to say or believe that it is the relationship between ourselves and God. And before we let ourselves sort of get swept away uh, by all that that idea might conjure up uh, for us, remember the passage says that God is simply love. If we love, we know God, and we love because God first loved us. This is uh, grace, right? That we are known by love, that we are seen by love, uh, we are held by love, we are created by love. Not because we did or didn't do, but just because that's what God is. Love is there. The relationship is always there if we can accept it. Remember that we are not talking um, in the realm or in the spirit of guilt and sin, but fear and courage, right? And in the words of um, this famous sort of activist preacher, William Sloan Coffin, he says, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear, right? As we accept the confidence of a friend or a partner or our community or even our culture, do we accept that our very existence, our very being here is loved? It's not easy, right? For some of us, it feels impossible, right? Even accepting the love of people we know feels impossible, let alone God. How could I be loved? How can I be totally accepted, right? Look at me. And I think that I would argue that this is something we all know. We take a moment to think about it. We reflect on it, right? We all know this feeling. So here it is now this courage to accept love, right? to affirm our acceptance. Right? Nothing happens without this step. Just as we take a risk to accept that these people who say they love me in their lives are right about me, there's also the ultimate risk to accept love itself, to accept that God loves us. And as we look at these things, again, through the fear or through the lens of fear and courage, faith, I would say, is confidence, is the confidence we feel when we are accepted. Right? Faith is the state of being loved. Faith is the confidence we feel when we are accepted. It's the state of being loved. It's hard to think of it that way. I know, I mean, our, we've just been so taught to think of these words in certain ways, but I really believe that this gets much closer to the truth. So does this mean that uh, bad things won't happen to us or, uh, or sometimes our fears will not be realized or even that anxiety will suddenly dissipate? Unfortunately, that is not the kind of promise God can make, I think. What we do have instead now is this confidence to face these things 
the confidence that we can face them together, the confidence, the courage as we've accepted it that no matter what may be, we are still somehow, some way, somewhere love. And so I want to end this by telling you a bit, of, going back to the, this bit of an embarrassing thing, but I painted myself here, right? The, the secret to living your best life, right? It's unfortunate that uh, we seem to equate this with like eating chicken nuggets while watching TV and, and uh, bailing on friends or something. <laughs> That's, you're living your best life. Don't go hang out with people. Really, living your best life is uh, all about how we face the world. It's all about what we do as we face the world. So I just end here by saying, let us face it. Let's live our best lives. Let's face it with courage, accepting the confidence that comes from all those who love us here, there, elsewhere. Amen.